This is Human Capital, sponsored by Goalspan, and I'm Jeff Hunt. Human Capital is the place where I get to interview dynamic thought leaders in business to help us learn how to embrace the value of human capital. My guest today is Susie Casada. Susie is the president of Ramar Foods, and Ramar is the number one Filipino food manufacturing company in the U.S. and has growing distribution also in Europe, the Middle East, and Australia. The company was founded in 1969 and has been family owned ever since. Of course, I appreciate the family legacy since I was president of my family's 75 year old company in a former career. Susie and I have a lot in common in that regard. So maybe we'll hear a little bit about that today. And I've had the pleasure of knowing her for about six years. So um, she's a great person. Welcome Susie. Thanks Jeff, thanks for having me. So I always like to start out the interviews with a personal question. And so the question is, I would love for you to share with the, our listeners something about your family, something interesting about your experiences growing up that led you into business. Sure, I would love to elaborate. The interesting thing about being a part of my family's business is there was never an expectation for me to actually join the family business. Mm. When my grandmother started it, she really started businesses so that her kids could take over. And this particular business, my dad took over. And as we were growing up with my dad, I worked in the company for a long time since I was a kid, helping out wherever I could, filing, helping in production even, Sure. summer vacations or even on the weekends and but there was never an expectation that oh you know one day you're gonna work here full-time or that you would even take over so I actually took a different route with my career and went to school to be a public school teacher oh cool yeah very cool and so um, based on that experience you were a teacher um, for a while and then eventually you ended up back in the business. And so tell us a little bit about that journey and what prompted you to jump to, to, to jump back into the business. It was really my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so always growing up working in the business, one of the things that I really liked to do on my summer break was to work at the Filipino festivals. Sure. So sure. Community festivals where I would scoop ice cream and we'd have lines, we had the longest line at the festival. And it was just fun to talk to people and serve ice cream. Sure. So when my dad asked me, hey, you know, what do you think about coming and learning the business? Um, my whole thought process was, oh yeah, it's gonna be about, you know, serving ice cream and <laughs> fun marketing events. That's kind of what I was thinking. And it ended up being, a little different. Mm-hmm. It was more of, why don't you fill in for somebody who's out on maternity leave in accounting? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was uh, an interesting experience. I ended up taking a two-year leave of absence from teaching. Sure. And that's kind of how my dad presented it. He said, come learn the business. You know, you might even like it after two years, sure. but if you don't, you can just go back to teaching. You won't lose your tenure and you, you know, continue to do what you love. And 
as I helped out, I started to learn why my dad worked so hard. Right. And I really got to understand not just the marketing side of the business, because it's food. I mean, who doesn't love serving and eating food? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially food that I grew up eating and sure. I'm so proud to eat. And a lot of the recipes are family recipes. You bet. Um, but it was really what drew me was that my dad had created this culture and atmosphere where he was helping other families mm-hmm. reach their dreams too. Um, and I think that was really what sparked my attention so that after the two years were up, I never had a discussion with him. We just kind of plowed through. Sure. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that story uh, on multiple fronts because number one, you weren't pressured to get into the business. Um, Whereas, you know, there's 5.5 million family businesses in this country and they serve, they, they uphold a tremendous part of our economy. But in many cases, there is huge family pressure to enter the business. So that seems like a a big win for you to be able to sort of make the decision on your own. It worked for our family, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, This is interesting because I did did remember that you were a former teacher. And so I had a question that I, I wanted to ask you about that. Because actually some people would say that it is significantly more difficult to be a teacher than being president of a multinational food corporation. Now, of course, that's debatable. But my question is, from a leadership perspective, what parallels do you see between the teaching environment and leading in the business world? That's a great question. There are so many parallels. I think the first one is, when I made the transition, you have to work with a lot of people. Uh As a teacher, you're very autonomous in your classroom and you're constantly working with people. So you're serving the the kids. So I taught sixth grade, which means I had almost 200 students coming through my classroom. Wow. um, A day sometimes. Uh And so we're having to adapt to their style and what's gonna get them motivated And then at the same time, there's their parents that you have to also constantly communicate with. And then you're working with and collaborating with the other teachers in your grade or in your subject matter, as well as on a bigger scale, the other teachers at the school. And we had a great leader, uh, our principal, Diane Kara. She was this amazing dynamic leader who really brought us together and led by consensus. So when I came over, I was working for the family business and I realized that the dynamic can be very similar where you're working with a lot of different people sure. and you're supporting these families. So it wasn't just the per- the employee who works for us, but it's their whole family too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so nice to get to know their family and understand what their dynamic was. So there was a parallel there and just collaboration. Yeah. And then as far as leadership and training, mm-hmm. There's another parallel because most of my day I spend working with other leaders and helping them work with their teams Sure. and how to collaborate with their teams and promote a positive working culture, a place of psychological safety, which is basically what I did as a teacher. Wow. That is so, I love the, 
the analogy there because really what you're talking about is building culture and whether you're doing that in the classroom or with other stakeholders that are related to the classroom like faculty other teachers or families it's really the same in business because you have all these stakeholders and you and and if you have the ability to create culture that has that safety and the relational aspects and also the learning that's associated with it in both environments you can really create kind of a environment that people want to be in they're excited about it promotes learning and development would you say that's kind of an accurate reflection of what you were trying to describe yes definitely and i ran my classroom using um stephen covey's seven effective habits oh. Cool. Like those were like the rules of my classroom, Sure. Uh, which is interesting because when I got into the business world, I started reading the business parts of those books. Sure. Yeah. Whereas before I read the one for kids right. and it just translated so well. Um, so the values uh, in the classroom setting that we've also incorporated into the business setting, I mean, those are our go-tos, right? We do everything based on those values. Sure. Whether hiring, um, retention, the way that we've been dealing with the pandemic, everything we've been doing is, are we sticking to our values? And I yeah. think that's important in leadership because you know what's driving you and you won't stray from those values. Definitely. And it doesn't mean that they make your decisions easier. Sometimes they make them harder, don't they? That is true. Yeah, because you might really like somebody, you may have good chemistry front with them, but if they don't fit your core values or they've compromised them some way, then you may not may you may choose not to hire them or you may have to have a tough performance conversation with them. So um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's actually a great segue to kind of my next question, which is about vision, values, core purpose. We talked a little bit about values, but talk to me a little bit about Ramar Foods core purpose and and maybe you can share a little bit more about your values as a company and what your the type of culture you're trying to create sure so jeff you actually helped us <laughs> create <laughs> values and uh you know i think it was something that as a company we had them they were in the background they just weren't intentional sure um, so you really you sat down with my team and we kind of extracted them from the best parts of the culture mm -hmm. and in doing so we were being really intentional about well this is our purpose and these are our values and people were like you're right no one's ever said that but it is it's true yeah um, so while some of our wordings have changed um, over the years it's still uh, our true purpose which is to nourish our community mm -hmm. uh, while we celebrate our family food legacy and when we talk about nourishment it's not just through the food that we make, because it is a good quality of food, but it's also through nourishing, you know, people mm. in the community. And so when we talk about the community, it's the greater community that we serve as far as our customers. Uh, it also includes our employees and their families. Yeah. And then the actual communities that we do business in. So in this case, it's the communities where our buildings uh, are where we sure. have and then also in the greater Filipino community Asian community mm -hmm. um, and how we can make an impact on each one of those communities mm -hmm. and of course we had to include family in yes. our, absolutely our 
because we are, we're going on 51 years. And my grandmother, she really instilled in us these values that we extracted together. So the first one is to be remarkable. And we spell it wrong because we spell it right. The Ramar on yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Yes. And that basically means that we do things with perseverance and humility. Sure. And then our second value is to make it the best. Mm -hmm. So no matter what it is, we try to make it the best, with, whether it's our process, our product, or our people. Mm -hmm. uh, and with that comes a continuous improvement mindset. Sure. Um, so that's something we've added over the couple of years as we became a continuous improvement uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And we continue to build that. And then our last value is to treat everyone like family. So again, that means our employees, their families, our suppliers, our partners that we work with, um, and then our customers that we serve. Sure. I love that. And it's, I also am just reflecting as you shared those about how the first two especially are very actionable. So you could literally um, have initiatives corporately that make sure that you're achieving those core values, that you're living them out. Um, and so, which is great because oftentimes in organizations it feels like they become a little too touchy-feely or they become like the ether and okay we say we're gonna do this but how do we actually do it so it feels like you're actually really presenting a good model or a good example for um, how to live those out um, and I love the family one um, and businesses that are um, that have a family type culture don't have to be family businesses. You know, I've worked with a lot of companies over the years that are not family businesses that still have that care and compassion. And essentially what it sounds like you're saying is, is you're, you're not having to do a lot to motivate people to come to work and to want to stay working for Ramar Foods for a long time and maybe even attract new talent into the organization because they understand that kind of ethos that you have internally would you say that's true yeah i mean i think a lot of leaders share that same value of you know if i take care of my people then they're going to take care of my business yeah whether we're blood related or not and you know i work with my two younger brothers and other than that there's not really any other family members in the business um my my parents are still you know they're practicing retirement so they're <laughs> they're not active on the day-to-day -day. sure um but i think just you know, taking care of our people is the most important thing as a leader. And a lot of other businesses can do that without having family members in the business. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Sometimes for executives, it can get a little lonely at the top, especially if you don't have good support mechanisms in place. And, you know, obviously if we don't put our oxygen mask on first, we can't help others. I would love to know what you do for support. What helps you stay motivated, inspired, even during difficult times? Um, you know, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately you can continue to uphold that culture, lead your organization well. What are the things that you do to, for self-care? <laughs> I'm a big believer in self-care and I do a number of things. So I really try to take care of mind, body, and spirit. I've awesome. always been big at working out. Um, I still, well, I still play soccer, although mm -hmm. that's on a pause right now. Um, right. So I play for an adult league. And so there's that 
team camaraderie that I really like. Sure. In playing team sports. Um, other than that, I do a lot of hiking mm, and biking and working out. Yeah. And then I recently started meditating. I would say right. not even on a year since mm -hmm. November, started meditating. Um, and that has been really helpful. Tried all kinds of techniques and finally sure. found a technique that worked for me. It's, it's just like anything. There's all these different types out there and you just have to find what's right for you. Yeah. Um, and then my yoga practice over the last three years has really been helpful um, and taught me to center and breathe and be able to handle the, the challenges that come down the line. Yeah. I do have to say that having the right people in the right places is immensely helpful because it yes. gives you time to do mm -hmm. self-care. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just that, yeah, just the mindset of I'm so overwhelmed with everything right now. And most people would say, okay, just do thing one, everything one at a time. But I actually just stop and breathe. Wow, that's great. And stopping is actually what, my, what I needed. Yeah. Like being able to take care of myself and just stop for even if it's for 20 minutes um, sure. and go for a walk, it, it rejuvenates. That's so awesome. What a great example because so many executives get into this spiral where things are crazy and they're super busy and then they feel like what they have to do is just work harder when it's, it's this kind of ironic or backwards response. Ideally, what we should be doing is stepping back from the business and rejuvenating ourselves, filling our own tank. And then when we return, we're going to be that much more productive and we're going to be that much more um, present with our people and be able to communicate better. So um, I just feel like that is a really great example. And I also appreciate that you brought up the, the, um, the idea of meditation, because if you look at the last few years, um, mindfulness is taken on a, a huge um, role for HR departments in many organizations across the country. And it's, it's become something that organizations now understand the ROI for better. So um, I think finding the right meditation practice can, is very helpful. There are a couple of apps out there for, for those of you that are listening that are interested. One is the Calm app and another one is called Headspace. And both of those apps are a little bit different. Um, and there's also some free apps that are out there. I think Medit Medito, maybe one of them. I believe it's, uh, I may have to correct that spelling, but it's sponsored by salesforce.com. So they've actually made it available for free, I believe, for people. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm, they're teaching it in the schools now. They teach mindfulness in the oh, school. Oh, great. Which is such an amazing tool to teach kids. Because if you can start that habit early, Yes. Then it's just so much better when you become an adult. It's just like anything. The more you practice, the better you get at it. Yeah. So as a leader and as somebody who likes to be a high achiever, yeah. um, I, I tried meditation five years ago and I just kept on not being so great at it. And sure. so I would push it to the side until I read a book that, and they said, you know what, you're going to fail at meditation twice. I mean, every day you do it until mm -hmm practice and practice and you just get better. So just like with anything else, sure. I practice it every day and I get a little bit better every day. That's great. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, okay, so I would like to shift and 
reflect on the fact that in this country, this year, it's been an unbelievable, unbelievably challenging time for uh, the problems that we've had with racial injustice, violence. Um, we've, and also uh, just the exposure of the lack of diversity in companies. And um, so what I'd love to know from you, and this is so relevant too, because you guys are an ethnic food manufacturing company and you, your grandmother, if, if I remember correctly, immigrated to the US, is that correct, Susie? Yes. So that's especially relevant. And so I would love to know from you what advice you have for everyone about what our role is, regardless of our our ethnicity, our, our, our race, our religion, anything about us, what is, our, what is the role of leadership in combating racism and promoting diversity in the companies that we lead? Mm, I'm glad you asked that question. This is one of those topics that make people uncomfortable, mm -hmm. uh, even leaders, right? Uh, anywhere that you go. And I think it's important that we just acknowledge it. Yeah acknowledge it and we acknowledge that it's okay to talk about it even if you don't necessarily know how to talk about it there's yeah. no wrong way there's no necessarily right way i think just making it a safe space sure. as a leader to have the conversations so modeling those conversations and then helping others have the conversations i think is one of the most important things sure um, we did that at our company um, as we were affected, especially um, when some of the protests did turn ugly and, you know, people didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to educate uh, really about what's the difference between a protest and a riot and, and, right. um, and have that common language yeah. so that people understood the language that was circulating on the news yeah. um, and just talk about you know, being kind and being understanding of each other. Sure. So, um, so I think yeah. that's like the jumping off point, right? Mm -hmm. Is just make that safe space. Mm -hmm. um, next, I think, is some some trainings. Um, I'm a big believer in trainings. I don't know if it's the teacher in me. <laughs> uh, but we didn't, you know, we had kind of like the canned uh, diversity and inclusion trainings yeah. that we had before. And so that's something that my leadership team feels very strongly about. And so we're building a new, um, you know, program that I think will really address what's going on out there today. Fantastic. Yeah, it just, I guess trainings also sort of help to keep it on the forefront as well. So um, you're creating an environment that promotes those conversations, number one, and then you're also reinforcing it through the trainings, it sounds like. So that's great. I love it. Um, let's see, how about, let's shift and talk a little bit about performance. What advice can you share about how to have difficult performance conversations, whether they are remote and, um, you know, remote working, or in your case, you, you have essential workers. And so, you know, a lot of people are still coming to work at the plant every day. Um, but when you think about your experiences in terms of what's worked well 
and what has not worked well, having difficult performance conversations, what comes to mind? I think what's difficult about the conversations themselves is most people don't want to have them. Right. Right. People are just like, you know, I know I need to have this discussion and they kind of put it off. Um, and so one thing we talk about at Ramar is to give feedback right away, Great. positive and negative. Yeah. Right. Because we want the opportunity to be seized. We want that it happened today and by tomorrow we found a way to, you know, make it better. Um, so I think that's the first part is just addressing it right away. Mm -hmm. um, because we have a lot of essential workers, it is happening more, you know, six feet away. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and we are, we continued with our performance appraisals this year. Um, they were a little bit late sure. um, than when they would have been. Yeah. Um, and so we did a lot of them remote and it, they turned out, well, I think we really just focus on how we can use our strengths. So instead of saying, do this and do that and do this, it's more of a, how can you make this issue better? Sure. Um, you really put it back on them. Yeah. Um, instead of telling them how to do it better, they have the answer. And sure. so we really worked with our managers on scripted questions that would kind of make sense, mm -hmm. depending on who you're talking to and about what, um, that would encourage them to talk. I love that. Yeah, so you're, you're making those conversations very forward focused. So even in the case, it sounds like where you may have a difficult performance issue, yes, you're gonna reflect on that, but you're also gonna turn that forward thinking and maybe in more of a coaching approach in a way that empowers them to come up with their own solutions versus creating a dependency that they may end up having on a manager to constantly be telling them what to do or what to change, is that right? Yeah, I like how you use forward thinking because most appraisals are in the past have been, you know, a culmination of all the things I did wrong, which is why nobody wants to go to those. Right, they hate them. <laughs> yeah, so we try to address any of the little, you know, things that happen along the way, address them right away. Sure. So that when we get to your performance, we're actually talking about the future and not yes. what you did over the last six months. Right. Um, it's really like, what are you going to do in the next three months? You yeah. know? So that's been a huge shift for us and it's worked out really nicely. I've never heard this until we changed our approach. Yeah. But now I hear managers saying, I'm looking forward to my <laughs> appraisals. Whereas before it was like this big chore and nobody wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> that is an incredible concept to hear a manager actually saying they are looking forward to performance reviews. And I run a performance review technology company. And so like, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's a true shift, isn't it? I guess what you're saying is that if you kind of embody this, this process, you really can create a shift internally on how it's perceived. Yes. And it's such a new shift for us. I can't say, oh, we're a hundred percent there. Right. Because any change we do, you know, it takes time to kind of get into the culture and the language and all of that. So, but I think we have a really good start. Yeah. And that's the feedback I've got so far. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Now you guys are a, a green company. 
in several ways. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about that, what you're doing in that area. I, if I remember correctly, your dad had a lot of passion in that area as well. And so what, tell, tell us a little bit about what you guys do to, to be green and reduce your carbon footprint as, an, as, a, as a global food manufacturing company and what your motivations are behind that. Sure, I mean, you know, we've only got one world and we have to take care of it. One of the things that we did was uh, we added a fuel cell a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, it's new technology that helped us um, basically take some of our power off the grid um, yeah. and use natural resources to run it. Uh, and this helps because being a frozen food manufacturer, yes. we have freezers that are running 24 seven. You bet. Um, so that accompanied with solar um, really helps take us off the grid, um, helps with our carbon footprint. And, you know, what yeah. we put into this world is what we get, right? And so we want to take care of it as much as possible. I think it's something that my dad instilled in all of us, myself sure. and my brothers. Um, and then we also work on our waste. Um, as a continuous improvement company, we're always sure. trying to eliminate waste, right? Yeah. So wherever we can, whether it's on the line or with product, spoilage, shrinkage, all of that, um, we want to reduce waste. Um, packaging is another big step that we're taking. Sure. And there's a lot more packaging companies out there that are using um, Earth-friendly inks, which mm -hmm. we use, um, and then also where we get our packaging, so how long it takes to get to us um, so that we can understand the carbon footprint that we sure. can get. Got it. That's great. Well, once again, it seems like it's another piece of evidence about how forward-thinking and proactive you are as an organization. So I just really applaud you guys because it's it takes a lot of effort and inertia to focus on becoming more green when we're also, you know, uh, most businesses and leaders are, are so focused on revenue growth and they're focused on, um, you know, just making sure that they're producing shareholder results. And sometimes, and, and so I guess in some ways it, it, it demonstrates that you can do both um, based on what you guys have done. So yeah, really applaud you in that area. Thank you. Uh, so we're gonna, uh, I'm just gonna ask a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Uh, who do you look for, Susie, for inspiration and mentorship? Mm, great question. <laughs> this is a little bit part of self-care too. Yeah. Uh, I am part of uh, a few different business groups um, that really helped me as Great. far as mentorship. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that mentorship goes both ways. So when I, we have a formal mentorship program at Ramar too. Great. So when I mentor others, I learn just as much as they do. Really cool. Um, but I am part of the Women's Presidents Organization um, and we meet monthly. Great. Um, that's been amazing, met some amazing leaders and learned so much from them. Um, and it's just nice to know that you have someone to call when you have nobody else to ask. A yeah, question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you do feel alone sometimes. You go, what yeah. do I feel about this? Um, so that's just so nice to have at your fingertips and creating these relationships with people who are in your same 
situation. Yeah. Uh, I'm also part of what I call my men's group. Um, it's not necessarily only for men. It's just that my group is just me and some other men. Um, <laughs> they're also leaders um, and they're great. That's the executive advisory council. Um, oh, great. So I've been part of that group for all, 10 years now. And then the women's group for about seven years. Fantastic. Um, and then I recently went back to school um, and I got an executive education um, at, and I'm actually tapping in now to that alumni association. Fantastic. Um, so I have a forum with them. Sure. Um, and between all three of these, wait, sorry, one, two, three, I have one more. <laughs> um, so that's with Harvard Business School. Great. And then the, the newest one that I just joined is actually called Tugboat. Institute, um, and it was founded here in the Bay Area in Stanford, and um, it's a group of evergreen companies. Um, so it, it made me think of it when you were talking about shareholder value, um, because yeah. one of the principles of evergreen companies is, you know, pace growth, people first, um, and really taking care of, you know, your company as a as a private company. Yes, uh, and so. I'm really excited to have just joined them. And now I have all of these mentors uh, that I look to and they really support me on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah. I'm also an avid reader. Fantastic. So I love to read. And I would say a few of my favorites right now would be Brene Brown that I really look up to. Yeah. Um, and she's great. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I'm really glad <laughs> I'm doing a podcast because I feel like the more that I can learn from other leaders like you, I feel supported. Yes. And, and it's so hard sometimes where you're so challenged and feeling overwhelmed that you know you can find support anywhere you turn. Yes. Well, and I love what you share because it's a demonstration that it's a multifaceted approach. It, we Like you've got a lot of different things going on for support, mentorship, to be inspired by others, to kind of fill your tank. So um, yeah, it's, it's not gonna come from one single source for any person. So I think that's really cool, uh, love it. Okay, you already answered one of your, one of my lightning round questions, which was your top book recommendation, but you actually just mentioned the author. So I'm wondering if Brene Brown, if you have any specific book that you recommend from her uh, for our listeners. Is there one book that you're thinking of by her that's good? Um, Daring Greatly comes to mind first. Sure. But I love all her books. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think just for people that aren't familiar with her, one of the things that she espouses is vulnerability-based leadership, right? So it's coming into the workplace as a leader, authentically sharing our own vulnerabilities, doing it in a way that can promote a culture of trust so that others will do the same, which ultimately builds relationship and allows us to flourish both relationally and corporately, right? Yes, which is my second favorite book from her is Dare to Lead, which shows oh, nice. some case studies on how leaders open up and be vulnerable and um, can it can really elevate their organization. Nice. I have to read that one. So I haven't read that yet. That's now on my list. 
Okay, so I have a few lightning round questions. So I'm gonna ask these and the first thing that comes to mind, you can just shout it out. Um, so the first question is, who would you interview if you could, dead or alive? Oprah. Nice. What's one thing on your bucket list? Mm, seeing the Northern Lights. Oh, I love it. What is one thing that you're most grateful for? Oh, my family. Mm, definitely. Uh, okay, and then the last one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Mm, that's hard to do lightning. Best piece of advice. I kind of go to uh, change. So this is through somebody from my Toastmasters group. Mm -hmm. um, and he tells a story about when he was going through his own leadership um, and he led an insurance company that somebody told him when he was first starting out, hey, things are going to change, you know, and you might not like the change. Right. But just go ahead and go with it because they're going to eventually correct it. It will be corrected. And so that has always stuck with me. Yeah. Because while I'm usually the one driving the change, you know, sometimes you even question it and go, why, why are we doing this again? It's so hard. <laughs> And just know that I've got to stay the course and that it's okay if we have to tweak it in a way that's going to make it work, or maybe it's just not going to work at all. And we just try the next thing. Right. That's such a great lesson for everybody is nothing is terminal. Like we can, it's, it's not permanent, right? It's not permanent. Just try it out. You might like it or you might hate it and then you can just move on. Exactly. I love it. That's great. Well, Susie, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this fantastic wisdom. I know that it's gonna be appreciated by a lot of people. So uh, I really appreciate what you're doing as a leader um, and just the way that you're putting yourself out there and the example that you're setting. And um, I just wish you the very best with Ramar Foods and everything else. So thanks for joining today. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure. You bet. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital on the first and third Tuesday of each month. I would really like to know what you thought of this episode. Send your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human, kind.